from the summit in Scottsdale, Arizona, the Gore presents Sales Training Boot Camp with Todd Screamer and Bill Puma. Today's topic, vision, mission, and culture. Everyone ready? All right. I'm looking forward to this. So we are going to be talking about vision, mission, and culture. And it's just an honor to be up here with Todd. He really helped me with this. I'll kind of go over where I was before Todd. I was fortunate enough to have Todd coach me and really help me with this part of my business. So when I first got into the core, I was just all about the numbers. I was just, I didn't have a vision. I never mission. My culture at the office was horrible. I was just there trying to do more, do more, do more, and do more. And I think if that's all we're focused on, it's not going to last and not going to continue. So I did have a year that I went down in income. And it was, I did not have that set. And I was fortunate enough right after that to have Todd for a coach and really help me with this topic of vision, mission, and culture. So when I started, I was just all worried about the numbers. I didn't care about my team. So since I didn't care about my team and I didn't have a vision that I was portraying to them and a mission besides just doing more, there was a lot of battling on the team. Operations and sales were just battling. No one was getting along. No one was working together. And like most realtors out there, the whole experience for the client was a disastrous mess. We got it done. We did a lot of business, but it just was not a fun experience for my team and for the client. So during that time, I had a bunch of buyer's agents. At that time, I had about nine buyer's agents. And they were doing a lot of business. A lot of business. But I let them just do business. I didn't care how they treated my operations team. And I just, they did business, so I was okay with that. I was accepting it. There was a lot of issues and drama that I just, I didn't deal with them. I didn't address them. I just kind of turned my head brushed it under the rug and moved on because I was doing numbers. And that's all I was worried about. I wasn't worried about anything else. So with that said, I had cancers on my team. I had one buyer agent leave, took about five with them. My operations team left because they weren't getting taken care of. So it just wasn't a fun environment. With that happening, the next year my, my volume went down. All right, And at that point, I was fortunate enough to have Todd as a coach for two semesters and we really dug into this and looked at it. And he was like, what do you really want other people to see you as? And what do you want your team to see you as? And we really dug into what I wanted my vision to be. And we portrayed that to the team. We set up what my mission was and what I wanted my culture to look like on my team. And it's totally changed. Since then, our numbers have continued to skyrocket. My environment, and I'll go over later on what we do to make that such a fun environment. The culture on my team, my team loves to work there. My clients and referral partners, they has, when we saw that transition, we had an event and I had one of my referral partners said, I feel it being different here now. And they obviously referred more people to us, come back to us for our business, but it was just a fun environment for my clients. I went from being more transactional to relationship with my team. And obviously with my clients. So with that said, the experience was just unbelievable. We developed a raving fan business. And I'm going to kind of go over my culture later on. But all I want to say before we get started is thank you very much for helping me with this. And it's made a big difference in my business. Thanks, Todd. Thank you, Philly. Uh, guys, i got to tell you something. Uh, 
I got one thing that, that'll say sum up Phil Puma. And everything he said is true. He went from seven years ago from 10 million. He'll finish this year around 115 million. That is unbelievable. I literally seen a, it's like a, a life transference, like transformational leadership, transformational management and growth. And it's, it's amazing when I see people go through that. So here's how this class is going to work. I'm going to tackle two subjects. It's about 20 minutes each. My concern is it's very strategic. Very strategic. Probably more strategic than you've ever thought in your life. Now, why is that hard? Why is strategy hard? We're salespeople, okay, including me. So the first topic I'm going to talk about is branding. Then I'm going to talk about playbook that talks about what do we want. Those two subjects are about what, what do we want our vision and mission and culture to be like. Then the rest of the class, most of the class, is still giving you examples and tactics on exactly what that looks like. Does that make sense? So it's big picture down to little tiny details. And that should work really well. So the first thing is I want you to turn to page 284. 284. I was in business for 20 years owning Summit. And I always thought, what did I think of branding? Because that's our first subject. What did I think about it? Someone take a guess. Waste of time. That summarizes it. Boring, stupid, waste of time. I'm going to blow your mind right now. Blow your mind. Because really what your brand... Well, let me read it. A brand is the ideas, the memories, and the feelings evoked every time someone thinks of you. When those mental pictures make the associated product or service more salient, more interesting, more compelling than the alternatives, they create value. One of the best examples of branding that you've ever seen in your life is Coca-Cola. I forgot how many billions they're worth. Guys, what is it? Sugar, water. (laughs) It's sugar, water we got used to drinking. And I'm going to suggest to you, we got used to drinking it. Maybe not you, but other people. Because of what it made us feel like. Have a Coke and a smile when I was growing up. Have a Coke and a smile. We're going to talk about what that brand is in just a second. Now, this bottom piece, the little circles under there. These are your choices of brands. Has anyone ever seen this? Okay. So let me go through this. This was the insight to me. Four years ago, I hired a guy to come into my office, got referred to me. And he took six months with a team of 30 people for us to discover what our brand was. I'm going to have you choose it in a few minutes. So you're going to choose your brand. So let me go over some of them, okay? The first one is a hero brand. We're going to talk about that. In the center of the circle is an example. Nike, what is their tagline? Just do it. We're going to talk about what a hero brand is. A rebel brand, Harley Davidson. Just flip the page real quick. There's a Harley Davidson ad. Remember, they're a rebel brand. Guy on a Harley with an ad that says, I never let my wife ride it, at least not until she's 18. (laughs) You get it. They're a rebel brand. Rebel. 
Southwest Airlines, Rebel brand. Southwest ran an ad with all of their guys loading bags, all the worker guys loading bags on an airplane with their shirts off, with a big T, a big B, and then the next belly, the next chest and belly had an A, and then G, and what did it spell out? Bags fly free. Bags fly free at Southwest. Now the truth is, Southwest just probably raised their fare 30 bucks. So you don't have the extra charge. Okay? But man, did they play that. How effective is that? I still like going to Southwest, even though I like to, I'd prefer to fly first class and all that stuff. But the fact that they don't charge me 60 bucks for my bag or 30 bucks, it just, it's like, man, they're a rebel. They're like out of the market. They're, like, they're a little crazy. Okay? Um, Victoria's Secret. Uh, go to that next page, 285. There's a, there's a woman on the bottom of the page. What is she wearing? Lingerie. What is she selling? Chocolate. Is that crazy? But that's a lover brand. Think about it. If you're going to buy your grandma candy, do you buy her Godiva? What do you buy her? C's. C's candy. And I'm going to suggest to you that that's done exactly on purpose. C's is not a lover brand. They're not a sex brand. Does that make sense? Now, could you be a mortgage company or run a branch or your real estate business? Could it be a love brand? That the answer to all those is yes. So you're going to pick one on purpose. And we're going to talk about how that plays out in your business. Let's do a couple more. Sage. Sage is the old wise person. Harvard is a good example. Creator. Crayola crayons. Could you be a real estate company and be a creator? Yeah. You could. Jester brand. What do you think jester means? Playful. Playful. Okay. Remember the Pepsi commercials? That's the example in here. They used to run a commercial, and at the end of every commercial, they jumped in the air, like 150 people jumped in the air. They're having what? Fun. That's done on purpose. Jeep Explorer. You ever watch a Jeep commercial? They're going over the tundra. They're climbing a mountain. That's done on purpose. They want, you, they want the feeling to be when you buy a Jeep, what? You're free, baby. We can go explore. We can go camping. That's the feeling around Jeep. Does that make sense? Now you're getting it. I think for this group, if you think about it as the feeling, that's what helped me. What's the feeling we're trying to create? Um, loyalist. It's got shredded weed in here. I buy Heinz ketchup. Do you know why I buy Heinz ketchup? I don't know why, but I thought about it after I went through this exercise because my parents did. Because Heinz ketchup for 18 years when I was growing up was in the fridge. And so when I go to the grocery store, I'm automatically programmed. That's the loyalist brand. My parents had it. Their parents had it. And so I'm buying Heinz. Loyalist brand. Uh, we don't have to go through all of these, but do you get the idea? Ruler. Microsoft. Ruler. Oh, by the way, I don't want to skip this one. Uh, loyalist. Loyalist. What's a mortgage company that's a loyalist brand? Any guesses? Because we went through mortgage companies on 
when I went through this. Oh, Wells Fargo, stagecoach. Yes. One that you guys would relate to is Guild. Guild's like, hey, you do two loans, you do 20 loans, come on in. We're what? Family. Loyalist brand. We want people to feel like family. I'm not saying that's right or wrong. Understand, none of this is right or wrong. It's what you want to build. Okay? What's an example of a rule or brand that's a mortgage company? We're the biggest, baddest, shut up and just do what we say. Guaranteed rate is like that. Caliber is like that. Okay? Those are ruler brands. We're the biggest, we're the baddest, just shut up and do what we say. I don't mean that negative for you that work at Caliber. You don't control that. That's Caliber's corporate message. That's guaranteed rates corporate message. It's not right or wrong. So don't go there with me. I'm not making fun of those companies. You understand? Don't take it that way. Okay? I'm giving you examples in our industry. Um, what is core? We believe everyone should make a million bucks. Save two million bucks. Give a lot of money away. What business, what 100% commission coaching company that coaches a bunch of crazy people gets you to give away $12 million in a year? $12 million. And says it's possible. Hero brand. Hero brand. That's core. That's on purpose. Uh, someone comes into to, uh, the core and says, yeah, I'm a, I'm a 10-year loan officer, and I'm making 300 grand a year, and I'm okay not getting better. I, I'm, I make a really good income. According to Core's brand, we would say what? Not good for, you can't join coaching because you don't want to get better. It doesn't make them a bad person, does it? It just means we don't fit them. It's okay. Is that making sense? Okay. Um, here's an example. If you look at the Nike commercial on page 286, there's a, there's a kid, there's running. There's a road behind him. Looks like he's running through a cornfield. Miles and miles of road. What kind of shape is that kid in? Chubby. Chubby. And what's it say in the middle? Find your greatness to the chubby kid who's going to lose 30 pounds and play on the football team varsity next year. Isn't that what that says? That's clearly a hero brand. In a mortgage company, Summit Funding, I love the hero brand, so both my companies are hero. On purpose. Okay? On the bottom uh, is the Summit Funding ad. Okay? And it says, climbing your mountain always, I can't read it, starts with a, begins with a single step. That's a hero culture. That's a hero brand. Let me tell you how stupid I am. I used to hire loan officers... Not that long ago, that would do two loans a month, and they would tell me they always want to get better. But they've been doing two loans a month for ten years. But the almighty Todd can what? (laughs) Change them. Off brand. Not my client. I I do video conference calls with my branch managers, so they can, as a second interview. And I'm on an interview a couple weeks ago. And the loan officer, it was a three loan a month, two loan a month loan officer who doesn't want to grow. Been doing it for 12 years. And I politely told him on the call, I said, 
hey, bud, I really appreciate all the things. I gave him some coaching tips on what he needs to do. I said, um, I'm not sure if you want to move forward, but we will not be moving forward. And I explained to him why. I said, you'll come here all excited, gung-ho, and then we're doing a, a hundred houses in 90 days challenge in the, in the sales meeting, and he won't do it. And after six months of that, he feels what? He doesn't fit. I don't fit here. He doesn't know why. But the problem is the leader hired the wrong person to the brand, to what I want. Now, it's my company. Don't I get to decide? And so do you. So, I want you to go back to the wheel. And I want you to circle the brand that you think best describes what you are building. So let me give you a couple tips. If I were, think of this, think of one word that describes your business. Think of one word that describes your business. For me, I think of growth. Growing as a loan officer, growing as a father, all of those things. Physically fit, growth. That's for me. That does not need to be yours at all. There is no right or wrong. So I need a couple examples that someone, what's the word, write it down. What's the, if you only can pick one word, only one, that describes your business, what you are building, who you are. It's your company, who you are. What is that? Someone give me a word that they wrote down. Aggressive. Aggressive. When you use that word and you look at this, that could be one of a few brands. It certainly wouldn't be loyalists, right? Come home to my real estate company. No, that's not what it, you said. Aggressive. Aggressive would logically be one of a few. What, what could it be? Rebel. Could mm, ruler maybe could be explorer could be hero. definitely could be hero hero and rebel based on that one word would be the two standouts does that make sense what's uh what's another one give, give me an example legacy okay could be ruler what else could legacy be sage could be sage Hey, we're creating a legacy. Now, let's take that as an example. If someone wanted to be a a, a sage brand, a legacy brand, what kind of activities would you do in your business to support that? What would you not do? Those are the kind of things we're talking about. I see a lot of blank stares. (laughs) This is very deep. It's very deep. But if you learn to build your business on purpose and stop being everything to everybody and have more focus, you'll bust records. You'll do things you never thought possible. That's what I'm saying. Give me another example of a word that someone wrote down. Integrity. What could that be? Certainly could be hero. 
Could be a loyalist. Could be sage. Could be lover brand. Lover brand just doesn't mean sex. Okay, it can. Carl's Jr.'s has what kind of girl eating their hamburgers? Oh, no. She's got a skimpy outfit on. She's showing some belly. And you just seen the ads, right? And she's eating the Carl's Jr. and it's dripping down her chest. That's a, they are, understand, it's a hamburger and they're using sex to sell it. Understand, no, it's a love brand. It's a obvious love brand. Okay? Obvious love brand. They're, now, why did they choose that? Because the other, some of these other spokes, McDonald's and Burger King already had them taken. So they had to create something different. And so the young, horny 17-year-old kid goes to Carl's Jr.'s because he associates eating that hamburger with that hot chick. That's done on purpose. That's what they want. Is that crazy? It is kind of crazy. So you can pick any of these. But the point is to do it on purpose. What is Starbucks? Just because that's such a great brand. So let's read it. Let's read it. Uh, we, this is their brand statement. Okay, you don't, we're not going to get into brand statements, but this is what directs their company. And then we'll try and discover what they are. It says, we are, a, gosh, transforming from a very retail-centered view about our brand to a view that will allow us to... To say that Starbucks' role is to provide uplifting moments to people every day. That's the key statement. Starbucks' role is to provide uplifting moments to people every day. And I didn't say coffee. They don't sell coffee. They sell a feeling. That's why you pay $5 to get a cup of coffee. Which is the stupidest thing, by the way, in the world I've ever heard. <laughs> I do not go to Starbucks because I can't part with five bucks for 25 cent product. I can't do it. Okay. <laughs> but a lot of people do. And it's very, very impactful. So share around your table real quick who you think Starbucks brand is. Go. Come on back. What are they? Not caretaker. Explorer brand. So this freaked me out. I'm in the middle of learning all this. My daughter wants to go to Starbucks one morning. I walk into Starbucks taking her to school. And this is how on brand they are. On the chalkboard. Try our new chai tea. It'll set you free. Explorer brand. Every statement goes through their filter. I know you think this is too big business for you. It's not. This is what big businesses do better than little businesses. They create a business plan and they do it on purpose. It's very much on purpose. So now you get to choose yours. So circle which brand you think you are. Yeah, Hunter says, is it what you are or what you want to be? Do your best to do who you are. 
Don't try and pick something that you think is exciting or new. Who are you? Like, I've always been aggressive in everything I've ever done. Magician. What's an example of a magician brand? Any guesses? Magical. Dreamy. Thank you. Walt Disney. Magical. I got one of my loan officers calls himself the magic man. So if he was branding his team, that would be what he would choose. I make magic. I do tough loans. That's right. That's what he wants, right or wrong. It's what he enjoys. Magic man. He's on brand. And he does a lot of tough loans, so he's, he does it. Okay? If you're focused on education, it could very well be sage. Does that make sense? And But, yeah. Not because it says Harvard, because it's sage. What else could it be? Caretaker. A lot of you guys, by the way, caretaker and loyalists are the two most popular for mortgage. Two most popular, by far. Not even close. Okay? Because a caretaker, how many mortgage ads have you seen this? Come home to the mortgage company. Come home to my... We, we're family here. That's obvious caretaker. Does that make sense? So when you're family-centered, that's a caretaker brand. So if you're a caretaker brand and the client rolls through the lobby, what are they smelling baking in the back room? Chocolate chip cookies. Because grandma made chocolate chip cookies and your mom made chocolate chip cookies, and that's how you feel at home. They're doing it on purpose. Does that make sense? Okay. So now share your brand quickly around the table. guys come on back that is this kind of it's kind of deep right so i totally totally get it um here's a tool if you if you google or youtube brand archetypes that's what that circle is called brand archetypes it'll give you a definition that's very clear for everyone but i wanted to cover this because i think it's um if, when, if, if Rita Casey, uh, when she was selling real estate, and she had, and I coached her for several years, so I know this to be true, and she had a client that wanted to sell a $200,000 house, she was a high-end brand. So she did not take that client. I've never seen her do it. I coached her for years and years. Because she was clear on who she was. Now, she probably referred it out and got a referral fee, but she didn't do that deal. So when you get clear on this, it determines it becomes clear what your action should be. Okay, in in my company, if someone's not growing and I discover later on that they're not growth oriented, I I go to I go to find an exit. Like, how do I they're not on brand that employee? I made a hiring mistake. It's not going to work. Okay, so that's that's what you want to do. This is a deep one. But before we're going into business planning season, the reason I want to cover this is because if you if you're not clear on your brand and certainly it's totally normal not to be in 10 minutes. okay? do some research, bring it to your team, have a collaborative meeting, go through all the definitions and don't tell them which one you picked and see if they pick the same one. If five out of five of six of your team members pick the same brand you do, that's probably who you are. 
Does that make sense? And then go, then when you business plan, you're focused on that brand. Hey, is that on brand or off brand? You know, oh, that sounds like we're, you know, we're baking cookies when we should be teaching them the personal budget. Right? Like, let's pick what we do in our business based on how we want to support our brand. Does that translate? Okay. So the next thing we're going to touch on is the, is the next page, 287. How many of you have seen the playbook tool? Okay. It's a simple way to business plan. Okay. This is a business plan that I go over every single company call, every single meeting that I have. It's your business plan that everyone can understand. Does that make sense? So, for the sake of this, if you look at how simple this is, by the way, this is copied from Patrick, Patrick Lecioni, wrote The Five Dysfunctions of a Team, some other great books. So this is from the book, uh, The Advantage. I read it probably 10 years ago, and I'm like, because I always struggled with a thick business plan or a five-page business plan, and the employees didn't know what I was trying to do. Because it's too what? Too much info. It's too much information. Okay, so the point of this is to keep us focused and to communicate the plan. So the first one are simple statements. What's the mission? The mission for a lot of you can be this simple to create a great client experience. It can be that simple. I want it simple. Okay, how do we behave? Pick three core values that you're going to live by. You're going to live and die by. I had I had a, a big leader of mine. Last week, two weeks ago, act out and really demonstrated poor teamwork. And so I called him and I said, bud, what's one of our core values? He looks on his wall. Teamwork. I said, what was that action that you took? Very non-teamwork. Okay, apologize to everybody and make it right. Okay. So these are the kind of things. You don't need 15 core values. Three is plenty. Okay. Does that make sense? What do we do? What is the main thing that you're going to do that's going to help you obtain what you want? What is that vision? And then a few things on how you will succeed. There's examples in here. Your coach can help you with this. These are simple statements. But once you put them down, they rarely change. They can change. Like my top ones may have changed once in five years. Little words here, right? Things like that. But the main reason I want to go over this tool is for the next section, which says thematic goal. Does anyone know what your thematic goal is? Yes. So your thematic goal is the number one thing that your team or branch is focused on over the next 90 days to six to nine months. It's where your project's time is spent. It's where your investment is spent if you're investing in your business. So give an example for me. This whole year, 2020, all we're focused on and all we've been focused on for the last two months is making my mortgage company the easiest place for a loan officer and their teams to work. Huge statement. A lot of projects underneath that. But that's what I'm focused on, which is mainly software and process. Okay. 
So we figure if we do that, that's a really good thing for Summit to work on because we want to grow uncontrollably so it's not a growth goal. Some of you guys are really in growth mode still. And so your thematic goal might be as simple as generate 100 leads a month and go to closing with 22. It literally could be that simple because a lot of you guys are producers and you're either running a team and or you're running a company. Make it simple. By the way, your playbook, your thematic goal is you have one for your team because a lot of you guys are producing and overseeing a branch. So you have one for your loan team or real estate team. And then if you have another business you run, like a branch, you have a playbook on what's the number one thing the branch is focused on. Your team may be focused on 100 leads and 22 closings. The branch may be focused on an operational issue because the branch is actually doing really well. Does that make sense? The issue, guys, with in business so often... And I can't tell you this, and I definitely used to do this. Now I've gotten really good at this. People ask me a lot of times, how do you get so much stuff done? I am like the horse with what? My blinders is the thematic goal. I'll literally be in a meeting, and someone will bring up a project or an idea, and I said, well, what's our thematic goal? Oh, yeah, that's not on goal. I said, you can write it down and save it for later. It's a great idea. But it's not what we're going to focus on right now. Okay? That ability to focus is so impactful. I was talking to Oleg the first night. We're at Top Golf, taking our coaches out. And he comes up to me and we're having a drink at the bar. And I, I said, Oleg, you're doing so great. Your branch is going to close a half a billion this year with three loan officers. What the heck are you eating? And he says, Todd... I just go into the office and I work. He's kind of dry. <laughs> I said, well, what, is, what do you mean? By, what do you mean? He says, I just make calls and do the visits. That's all I do. I don't understand why people don't do that. But you don't do it because you're not focused. You don't know that that's the number one thing you should be focused on, so you don't do it. It's, this is a focus so you get this all done, and then what do you do with it? You put it up in a visual aid. Like it might, I'm not exaggerating. A lot of you guys have been to my corporate office. When a guy is, sorry to be a little graphic, a guy is taking a pee, what is he staring at? My playbook. It's in the poopers. Am I exaggerating who's been to my office? It's in the poopers, Okay. It's in the cubicles. It's on my front door of my office. I'm big individual aids so that we can keep it top of mind. So write this down under things I will do for sure. Your notes. I will finish playbook collaboratively with my team. Collaboratively. During your off-site meeting is when you do this. I will finish my playbook collaboratively with my team and have at least five visual aids of it up in my office by January 1st. That's your assignment. If you struggle with it, call your coach. We'll help you through it because there will be some struggles. Make sense? Big, big stuff, right, guys? I told you it's pretty big strategy. 
But this is how you're going to grow your business. This is how it's going to get done right. I can't tell you how many times, if I don't have a plan, I ain't going nowhere. But I know I'm on brand, so I know what my company is about, and it looks and feels that way and provokes those feelings. And I got a playbook that tells me exactly what my company's about and the number one thing that we're focused on for the next three to nine months. Those are those two tools. Make sense? So now, Phil is going to take us to the next level and talk about vision, mission, strategy, culture, and what he does specifically to accomplish that. Phil, come on up. Well, Todd, I love that you said to do this with your team. To get buy-in, that was awesome. I usually do it myself, but I'm going to change that. Everything so. with me is everything with me is collaborative. That's, That's what awesome. I've learned. I got a problem. Hey, let's bring in some stakeholders and have a meeting. Everything's collaborative. Total opposite from ten years ago. I was a what? What do you think I was? Dictator. What's the problem with dictator? Lack of buy-in, and we don't always make the right decisions because there's not enough information. You know how you feel but not what they should do. You don't know how to fix it. A lot of times I get into a problem and think I know what the problem is, and it's not the problem at all. It's totally different than what I thought. The worker bees know that. When you guys study process engineering, the number one thing I learned from process engineers, they involve the stakeholders to solve the problem. The leader doesn't solve the problem. Well, I'm going to talk a little bit about some tactics on vision, mission, and how I live my culture. But before we get started, I think before you dive into your vision and mission, you need to clearly define what you want your clients to look like. All right. You need that parameters, that box. Same with your employees. All right. If you want to have that culture, us as salespeople, we're going to want to do every deal and we'll hire everyone that comes in. Right. So we need to set these parameters because I know for me, every time I go outside of the parameters and just want to do this one deal, There's a bunch of collateral damage because that takes so much time and effort from me and my team away from the clients that we do want to work with. So for me, I set that exact expectation of what I want my clients to look like. I have price points that I work with. All right. I have a location and area that I'll go out. Obviously, with us as realtors, we have to drive. So I want to make sure that that's pretty tight. All right. Um, We also have I mean, Rick talked about rates and fees. And what our commission looks like. So we need to have what our commission is going to look like. And we can't go outside of that box. Because every time we do, again, there's going to be other issues and problems. For our employees, I'm the same way as Rick. I like inexperienced young people that I want to train my way. I don't want someone who has experience in the business. Every time I've gone outside of the box, it has not worked out. All right. We took on one. It was like a referral. It was a little lot loan. And it was, I figured it was small, easy, it would sell quick, which it went under contract quick, but it took us about nine to ten months to get it closed, just because of all the issues with this piece of land. Not something I typically do, we took it on, and what happened was the clients that I wanted to live our vision, mission, and and have our culture, and take care of them, and have them raving fans, it was taking time from them to spend time with this other client. So you have to set those expectations. If you haven't done it already, make sure you go home. And that's one of the other things you're going to do as a tactic. Set your expectations of what you want your clients to look like that you're going to deal with. And don't go outside of that box. And same with your employees as you're growing. All right. Those are the two things. I'm going to have you turn over to the page that I have my vision on. And it's page 290. So I'm going to read it to you real quick. 
It's to be the preferred real estate firm in the area, providing the highest level of client satisfaction on a consistent basis to build a successful real estate team of professionals that work together to provide excellent service to our clients and to be our client's real estate team for life and to have our clients be raving fans. So if you don't have a vision, you need to have one. When Todd talked about visual aids, um, who's been in my office? Who's there? Is, my, is this up everywhere, Scott? Ty, is it up everywhere? I don't have it in the restroom. Maybe I'm going to have to add it there. But um, we have it everywhere. Every office, it's there. It's in the office. So you have to have visual aids like Todd already talked about. Have it posted everywhere. I have it on every one of my presentations. All right. My listing presentation. My buyer presentation. My leveraged events. It's everywhere on my on my information that we have from a visual perspective. So with it being their visual, too, we need to make sure that we are allowing our teams to know what it is on a regular basis. We talked about off-site meetings, our year-end meeting, our quarterly meetings. You have to go over it again. You have to talk about it every day in your daily meetings. Because if you don't know it and you don't live it, your team is not going to do that. Your team is not going to do that. So making sure that you have that out there. It needs to be everywhere and you always, always have to be talking about it. Because if you're not, they're not going to do it. And again, it goes back to if you're not living it, they're not going to. So my business has transitioned from that business of just doing business. And you guys know I started out with a bunch of cold leads to now having that raving fan business. And it's because of changing my mentality and the way that I act because of this vision. So who, who out there does not have a vision set? All right. How many? That's one of the things you want to go back and do. Make sure you have it and collaborate with your team. Like Todd talked about, with, when you're going over your playbook, you need to collaborate with your team on that. I'm going to have you guys take just a few minutes real quick as table work and talk about a few things, what you want your clients to look like. What you want your clients to look like. Set your parameters there. Can, can you give an example? So uh, you're saying literally title the page characteristics of my clients and come up with how many? Yeah. So for me, I have location and distance from my office. I have price point. I have type. If I'm going to do lands, home, condos, what type of business you're going to do? Commercial, residential, um, commission rates, and then cold versus warm business. So okay. I have... What? I just want... I, 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 this is, what he's given you right now, guys, is gold. But I, I want to clearly articulate what you want them to write down. Sure. So be, be, you did it. It's a, I like your list a lot. So maybe go through that so they can do it step by step and then maybe share it. Yeah. So for me, I'm an hour from my office as far as I go location wise. So for me, that's location. That's what you're asking so for. So they right? would write down, uh, the title of the page is what? What characteristics? Uh, yeah, of, characteristics of your clients. Characteristics of my clients. So he just said, within an hour from my office, you make up your own 10 miles, two hours, whatever it is. Write it down. And then my next thing is price point. There's a price point that I deal with and then a price point that my team deals with. So for mine, it's 400000 and greater. I work with just warm clients. That's the other thing. For me, on my parameters that I'm, I'm working with, warm business. Dayton says it all the time. He doesn't talk to strangers. I don't either. So any cold business, that will be my team. I will help them convert them, but they will, they will handle the showings, they'll handle the listing. And then your commission rate. 
You know, we're charging full percentage every time. So what your commission rate is. Those are the, those are the four, what, four what things that I have. What their floor is? Is I'm that what you mean? So you said your commission rate is what? It's 6% on listings. Okay, so literally, I want to be, be honest. Like, I'm coming to you. You're sitting at my house, and I'm saying, buddy, I'm selling a million-dollar house, and I'm not paying you 30 grand. I'll pay you 20. Is it a yes or a no? It's a no, 6%. Okay. I see a lot of people cave. That's why I asked. So take a few minutes to write down your characteristics of your client. All right, who wants to tell us what their characteristics of their client is? Need a couple real quick. I put a responsive to our request, comes in for a face-to-face meeting, appreciates our work, willing to refer us, provides their loan documents, does not require us to reduce our commission, and they actually qualify. Qualify is a big key. Anyone else? I would like them all to be obedient and grateful. Bears up here, you got one? I one over there. Vanessa. I have uh, loyalty, uh, price point of 200K or higher, and they refer me with passion. They're ambassadors for me. Cool. Uh, probably my biggest one is that they follow our process. They come into the office for our first meeting. I uh, do residential and owner-occupied with um, geographic boundaries. Perfect. That would be pointless to tell you guys about. I love follow your process. How many of us have taken on clients that don't follow our process? I know I used to. I'd, I'd run wherever. I'd be that Pop-Tart realtor running to wherever it is. The same with our buyers. I do not work with any buyers if they don't come into the office to do a buyer consultation. We're not going to just go out and show houses. It's the same on the lending side. You guys should have a process that you want them to follow. Tim. So can you, when you say you won't work with the buyer until they come into your office, will you show like an initial home? Like if they call up your site, will you just show them? They're like, we're out here real quick. Do you say, I will not show you home until you're in my office? Or do you give like a little grace period at times? So I don't show any buyers, any anyone that goes out there. My buyer's agent sometimes will take that on if they're not busy and that's what they want to do. It's not in my characteristics. My buyer's agents had a little different characteristics and that's why I have some buyer's agents that'll go out and do that. But to show a second home, you're right. They might do one. Then we're going to have the consultation in the office. Our distance for my buyer's agents on buyers, when it's an hour away from the office, they will then sit down like at a Starbucks. We're not, if they're going to have to come an hour, they're not going to work with us. So my buyer's agents will do a buyer presentation at the office. But then our next step in our process, let's just talk about buyers in our process. We go over it and we give them an option. We do the option close. They can do an honor agreement, which is a, a verbal, hey, let's work together. But um, we do an honor agreement or an exclusive agreement. And we tell them at that point, will depend on the level of service they get. If they want us to prioritize um, off-market listings, they want us to prioritize them in the schedule, then we are going to have to have an exclusive buyer's agency agreement. If we want to try each other out and you be secondary on that list, then we'll do the honor agreement. If you don't sign either, then this will be the last time we show your property. So I would say 50 percent. It's either way, 50 percent. But after we start showing some properties, they go and sign the exclusive buyer's agency agreement. At that time, it's 50-50. 
Yep. And usually, and usually it's 50-50, and then they'll sign the other one. In our state, we have to have the exclusive signed before the actual offer goes out. I just put rate shoppers that won't come in to meet face to face. I think that's great. Is that big for lenders out there? Raise your hand. Is that big? All right. All right. We're going to move on um, to my mission. So if you can turn to page 291. I'm going to read my mission real quick. We provide professional, informative, loyal and dedicated service to our clients. The best interest of our clients always comes first as we bring unquestionable ethics into each transaction. We are dedicated to provide an exceptional service in order to develop long-term client relationships. We maintain a team of highly trained professionals who work together to ensure our clients' needs are met and their expectations are exceeded. So, same as, the, as my vision, this is everywhere. This is everywhere. And obviously, the part that you took out of there is a team that works together. That was so, so different. From when I started and when Todd really helped me with this, we were a team that did not work together because we didn't obviously have a vision and I didn't have this mission of us working together as a team. It is so different now. So I know some, I have some students here that have been to my site visit and that is the biggest thing is my team works together. One of my students asked this question at the site visit. I never know what they're going to ask and ask of my team. They asked my team this. Why do you work here? And I was like, oh, hopefully they answer this question right. <laughs> um, and they said, it's because I know that every team member has my back. If I'm going to go on vacation, if I'm sick, I know I'm going to come back. My work is going to be taken care of. That client is going to be happy. Everyone has my back. I have employees that drive an hour that pass a ton of other real estate company, real estate teams to come work for me. And I'm going to go over our culture right after this. Um, but that is something that you have to make sure that your team is cohesive and working together. And it goes back to, obviously, we set our expectations what we want our clients to look like. We need our employees to look the same way. Because when I first started, I hired everyone. I was just excited for them to come in for an interview, all right, to come work with us. But you need to realize you guys have really successful teams. You need to be picky on who you work with. Look at the core. I mean, what Rick said. He's going to take the best 45. He's going to put them all together and take the best 45. I know there's not many of us out there that will do that, but we have to have that parameter set for both of those to make sure that we can live a, a, a mission like this. So just having these two visual aids, they just can't just be up there on the wall and you can just talk about them. Okay? Whatever we say, we have to live it. We have to live it. So if you don't have your vision and mission set, first thing you need to do, that's one of the things that Todd talked about when you're doing your playbook. By the end of the year, I want you to have a vision and a mission set. Is that a good delegation? Good. By when? By, by the end of the year. By the end of the year. All right. So next, we have to live it. And I know there's a lot of times we have a bunch of stuff going on in our life. All right. A bunch of stuff that's going on in our life and our mindset that might not be right. But when we come in to that office, everything else has to disappear because our attitude is contagious with our team. Whether we have good employees or not, our attitude as leaders is going to be contagious. So you need a morning routine. You need a morning routine to be set every day. 
And like Rick talks about it, it needs to be the same every day. For me, I wake up and go work out at 5 a.m. every day during the week. Every day. I work out outside. If it's raining, I work out. If it's snowing, I work out every day. That's one of, that's my stress relief. I work out every morning. There's a workout group that I work out with every day. We go out to coffee after that. That's every day. I go home. I get ready, get my son ready. I bring him to school. And then I'm in the office by eight o'clock. I do blast the music a little bit in the car too, just to clear my mind after I drop him off. Little ACDC? Yeah, little everything. I listen to everything. So, clear my mind so when I open that door, I have some employees that beat me in the office at eight. I'm usually first or second, maybe third at most. So when I get in there, I need to make sure already my mood is okay. I need to be in the right state of mind. Because if we're stressed, our team's gonna be stressed. If we're relaxed, they're gonna be relaxed. And they can't, if we're stressed, they're gonna obviously relay that onto our clients. So I get in there and I have a perfect morning checklist of everything I do in the morning. One of the things both Todd and I were talking about when we prepared for this class, we both have a grateful log, thank, what we're thankful for. I always write three things down that I'm thankful for. How many do you write down? I do three. So I do five-minute journal. How many do a gratitude journal every morning? Good. We're spreading this word. The reason we're spreading this word is because we're very, and I'll speak for me, it when you start your day knowing how fortunate and lucky you are, and by nature, we're selfish, right? That that is our clients, including me. It, it changes your feelings. It changes your emotions. So any of you that aren't doing that as a ritual, I literally this morning, I got up this morning, I did my gratitude journal on my phone, and I sent people that I was thankful for, I sent out five heartfelt texts. But... The time I was done, now understand, you get the visual, it's not pretty. I'm in my skivvies, on my bed, I did my gratitude journal, I, I, and I sent five heartfelt texts, three to three of my kids and two to two friends. And I was crying. That's different. And I'm telling you, it's, it just does something to your emotions, which I've struggled with. And a lot of people say, well, you're so much happier the last couple of years. I'm like, I'm just, I've always been happy. I just enjoy life at a greater level. It's gone from like a seven to a nine. Okay. And I little hundred percent gratitude, hundred percent for me, gratitude journal. And I'm asking you a question. Do you see the same going on with your team, your company? Do you feel it pushing on to your for management sure. team? All right. Because whatever I do, guess what I teach? So they're all doing gratitude okay. journals. We start every meeting, what you're grateful for. Number one thing, you're that's the opener of the morning meeting, every day. It's like simple, simple stuff. Perfect. So, next, for that 8 to 8.30 is my preparation time, and then 8.30 to 9 is when I meet with my assistant, and it's kind of the meeting before the meeting. Our morning meeting is at 9. We kind of collaborate. Rick talked about preparation before we execute. We have to be prepared to go into that meeting, because if we're disorganized in that meeting... Our team is going to be disorganized in that meeting, all right? So make sure you're prepared. Same thing when you're going to, you know, a listing presentation, a buyer presentation. You have to be prepared in the right mindset, all right? So your morning meeting, the same thing. I think you have to come with a lot of energy and be ready. And if you don't have that morning routine, you're not going to be be there and be ready and have, a, you know, a, a what attitude that's going to be contagious to your team. So in talking about 
you and your, your attitude and being contagious to team, I'm going to talk about culture. Um, and that's another thing. When people come to my site visit, they just see the team working together. They don't talk about working together. They just see that they have their backs. All right. So one of the things that I do that obviously happens a lot here at the core, too, and Rick talked about it, is feeding my team. All right. I treat my culture is I treat my team like family so that they can treat my clients like family. And we know family is going to refer us out. Family is going to be happy. So that's what I do. So some of the things that I do to make sure that I am promoting my culture, I feed them. There's always food in the office. Um, we actually cook a lot for our team. We have our team over to our house. I always ask my team, hey, what do you want to do for this quarterly offsite? Or what do you want to do for this fun event? They want to go to my house. You have to have your team to your house. If you're not having your team to your house... It makes a huge, huge difference. Yes. Can I see a show of hands? How many of you have had several times, say four or five or more times, have had family member, excuse me, team members to your house for food, breaking bread? It's about 50-50. This is a, this is a big one. So, uh, I start, I, I do it, but then something I added to it is when people come in to, to, uh, interview, right? Because we have to fly people in every two weeks. So they'll come in and sometimes there's two people, sometimes there's eight, but it's usually that size of group. And I used to always take them out to a restaurant. What's the problem with the restaurant? Two big problems. It's loud. So you can't really talk as well. And it's what? It's expensive. It's a $500 dinner and I'm cheap. So literally, I swear to God, I do this. We just go to my house. Before I leave the office, I order uh, Chipotle. It's about, I can feed eight people on Chipotle, literally for 80 bucks, okay? And we just have, have it delivered, you like DoorDash, Uber Eats thing. They come to the, they meet me at the house. And we just, you know, they always want to tour the house. We're sitting in my recliners talking about business. It's totally different. And that's exactly what Jeez. he's talking about. It's, it's, it, it's a game changer. I mean, and again, now that they ask for it, that's what they want. So we did, we had a huge summer, um, end of the quarter there. We had a huge fun day at the lake at my house. We left early one day, took out the boats, took out the jet skis. We actually cooked for them in the house. That was even cheaper, saved us even more money, but that's what they wanted. They wanted us to cook. So we threw some stuff on the grill. We cooked out, um, had a great time. And I think we have to do that kind of stuff. Um, find out what your team likes. That's what my team likes, so we do it. I enjoy entertaining at the house, and it's it's a different bond than being at a restaurant. Yeah, and, you know, I hear a lot of people say, oh, I, I'm not a very cook, I don't want to cook. I'm feeding them Chipotle. <laughs> Another thing I hear is, oh, my kids are home or whatever. My kids are home a lot of times, too. Same I here. would rather be home 5.30 to 7.30, you know, and my kids are running around, they meet my kids, and at least I get to see them and be there than have a babysitter there, right? So I, all the objections that are in your head are easily overcome. Or my house is not nice enough. How many people feel that? I just, I don't, gosh, it's messy or whatever. Get over it. You'll clean the house or you'll hire a house cleaner or whatever. You guys make a lot of money. You can keep an, I'm not saying have a dirty house, but the fact that you're having them to your house, it's very, very impactful. Huge. Before I get into the other things we do for culture, I think it goes back to we set the parameter of what we want our employees to look like. We need to follow that. So my hiring process and training process 
is totally different than when I started. The hiring process, like I said, um, my, my best interview question was, when can you start? So, And that was my one and only question before I really looked into this and cared about who worked for me. Um, it's changed. So now when we talk about team buy-in, everyone on my team, we do group interviews, is there interviewing. Everyone on my team has to have buy-in with every employee. If you want them to work together, that's huge for me. I cannot, I don't care if it's my best friend, I can't veto if someone says they don't want to hire them. If they have a legitimate reason, we will not hire them. We work really tight, really close together, um, hang out a lot. I want to make sure that that's, that's huge for me to have group and everyone on the team have buy-in. All right, we all have a download and we all talk about why we should hire them or why we shouldn't hire them. And we make those decisions. I would rather go through 10 interviews to hire the right person than to hire the wrong person. How many out there hired the wrong person before? <laughs> I know it seems to happen to us a lot. Can I um, raise both hands? <laughs> so, and, we, and we learn from every one of those situations. We've learned from every one of those situations. The other thing that Rick talked about is the buddy system. Same thing. When someone is hired on my team, they will sit with every team member. I want them to know if they answer the phone of who handles what. Who does what. All right. A buddy system. Then they're going to go through and just make sure they're sitting with everyone and we have cross training. Everyone always has someone when they're out, that person's covering for them. All right. Set that ahead of time. We have their their paid time off needs to be set ahead of time so that they know their sub can be not off at the same time. All right. So cross training is huge. If you're not doing that, I could when I have people for some odd reason, you know, they decide to go another direction um, or if I promote them from operations to sales, someone else can slide in there that easily. All right. That easily. So make sure you're cross training um, and make sure you're. Engaging your team in that interviewing process. That's huge. I'm going to talk about a few other things that we really do to engage my team and events we do. The cool part about it is I have planned events that we schedule with a team, but they are so tight and close that they do stuff outside of it. They schedule stuff. We have a kickball team. I didn't even line that up. We have a kickball team. All right. So we go out and play kickball. A bunch of the guys play pool. They're in two pool leagues. They go out and play pool together. So they do things on their own together. So to me, it, I'm like, you know what? I did create this environment that I want. I'm living the vision and vision and mission because they're just doing it without me making it happen. All right. So a couple other things that we do with our team, you definitely have to have some fun events. Um, we have done we have axe throwing coming up. We did that um, with the core with the core. We actually just did top golf. So we do it here with the core. Um, also, for us, we do corn maze. We've done escape room. We've done gun range. We've done bowling. I invite them to my happy hours that I have for my VIPs and clients. Who out there is not inviting your entire team to that, to your happy hour? Who is that? Anyone? All right. Cause I heard some people in one of the other classes wasn't doing, invite your team. Your team needs to be again engaged with your clients and your VIP partners. They need to see and know your team. That's been huge for me. That's been super huge. They don't all come all the time. If they got kids, I don't make it mandatory for them to come, but just to let them know. I mean, we need to, our, our team needs to be VIPs to us. If they're not VIPs and they're not, we're not having them come to our happy hour, I think we're missing the boat on that. All right. And then we have separate happy hours just for my team. So I want you guys to take a few minutes of planning your next team fun event.
have some good ideas, raise your hands and they'll bring the mic around. Please wait to the mic because this class is recorded. We got one up here. Uh, we're, de- we're doing a uh, prom coming up. A prom? Tell prom. us about that. So I mean, we just thought we'd make it a little bit unique. It's a big, bigger branch. So it's, uh, and we thought we'd do prom come whatever year you want. So I'm thinking uh, baby blue and some bell bottoms and maybe some ruffles. Cool. That'll, that'll be funny. Take some pictures. What else we got? There's no fun out there? I know Hunter's fun. No, no he, he's taking his uh, team indoor uh, go-kart racing. Sounds super fun. Cool. That's cool. Um, I'm in the Orlando area, so obviously we are blessed with Walt Disney World being right around the corner, so we're going to go and have that experience together, not to just have fun, but also look at their customer service level and how we might be able to apply it in our business. You got some back here? Yep. Uh, so in the spring, we uh, I took my team, we did an escape room. So if you have escape rooms in your cities, it's a great team-building effort. I love escape rooms. I don't know why we, we go in two different groups and my team always loses. So I don't like them too much. <laughs> we switch it up every other month. Uh, one month we'll do something fun. Uh, this next month we're going to go tubing or other things we've done is um, uh, team dinner at our house where we cook together. Cool. Uh, and then uh, uh, every other month we do uh, some sort of community service uh, event. And uh, people really seem to enjoy that quite a bit. I think community service, charity, obviously, which we just covered, I think that's great. Awesome. All right. I think we covered a bunch there. One of the things that both Todd and I were just talking about, which is pretty crazy, um, when you have this tight culture, which we have, the people that don't fit in that culture, for some odd reason, they get in. For some odd reason, they made it through the interviewing process. It's almost like they weed themselves out. We've had some really good employees that that's all they want to do is put their head down and work and just doesn't fit into our work environment. It just seems like they just, you know, they go. So if we can do a better job, I think, of interviewing properly, getting the team buy-in and having everyone have it in visual aids, projecting that culture, and it'll just happen. It'll just happen. I love my team. My team is great. They take great care of my clients and my business has changed because of all the stuff. I know we've covered a lot, a lot of stuff. So, Todd, do you have anything else to add on culture? Yeah, so, guys, let's cover one more thing that is really hard, and then we're going to do some table work to really cement, because this is one of those classes where, you know, you could go 10,000. We could could cover this for five days, right? (laughs) But as I coach people for 19 years, this is the issue around vision, mission, culture is your inability to have high expectations and to know when to dive in and how to have the conflict. So let's cover that, okay? So your expectations, when you write those mission vision down and you've you've got your right on your brand, you got all these things and it's cemented in your mind, that'll help with clarity. Phil didn't go from 10 million to 115 million for two, he had more clarity and he developed skills around them. This is the skill that is so hard to teach you. So I'll do this in a couple of stories. Uh, I get my uh, call, my daily call list from Susan. Susan is my assistant. She's awesome. We've been together, I think, 15 years now. Um, she brought in 
my daily call list. By the way, if I don't get my calls done, I pay her $10 for every miss. Okay? So literally, it's not talked about. It's just uh, dollar bills. You know, I've got a thing behind my desk that are for, that's Susan's box, and it'll have a stash of dollar bills. When I don't get all my calls done, if I miss six calls that week, she gets 60 bucks. It's just sitting on the sitting on the thing. Her deal is, is that she has to bring in my call list by 9 a.m. Okay. So about two months ago, month ago, something like that, she brings in my call list and it's on my desk at 9.10. So I get off the call. I'm going to the bathroom. I peek my head in her in her office down the hall. And I said, nine o'clock. I'm holding the call list. I said, nine o'clock means nine o'clock. Got it? Yes, boss. That's all it took. That's what you guys struggle with. I had a manager, one of my big leaders, try and get a supervisor to write up someone on the accounting team last week. I heard about it. I texted him about six o'clock at night. And I said, hey, I heard that this happened. You have a meeting with me tomorrow. Oh, no. I told Susan, I said, Set up a meeting with head of HR and this person for 9 a.m. tomorrow morning. I get home that night. He texts me. Hey, boss, I see you have this meeting at this time. What is it about? I said, it's not very good. You'll hear about it at nine. So that he could what? Sleep on it. (laughs) He walks in, 9 a.m., head of HR is there. I said, hey, uh, before I, uh, this is a 15-minute meeting. That was the time slot. It's not an hour, but it's a pretty big deal to me because I'm trying to protect my what? Culture, okay? What he did was inappropriate. You don't have, if you're the leader, you do the write-up. You don't delegate that to someone, ever, okay? So I said, hey, uh, do I have this story right? And he said, yes. And he's very nervous. And I said, but you do a thousand things well, but don't ever do that again. You, you can't delegate to someone to do a write-up for you, ever. That's such poor leadership. Do you understand why? He started giving me excuses. And he was about five words in. And I said, oh, What you need to say right now is, I'm sorry. Because if you're going to go down the road where you just started, this will not end well. And he sat there and he felt ashamed. And he said, bud, I am sorry. What I did was wrong. And then he turned around and apologized to the head of HR. And I said, I got up, I gave him a hug. I said, it's over. It'll never happen again. See you later. It's not hard to do these things, but what you guys fear is the confrontation. It doesn't have to be confrontational. It is confrontational, but it's not that big of a deal. You understand? That was a big deal. Susan's was a little deal. But both are pretty much treated the same. So... What happens is you let people get away with stuff. It's like your kids and they're getting away with stuff, getting away with stuff. And then you want to hold them accountable three months later because you got fed up. No, in the moment, 
catch it. In the moment, this happens probably twice a month to me. And uh, I'll do a quick role play. Phil, I'm grabbing a cup of coffee. Phil's in the coffee. I don't want you to be happy, Phil, like you always are. Okay. And I'm going to ask you how your day is and give me just a something. Hey, Philly, how's it going, bud? It's kind of going all right. Hey, buddy, what's going on? Doesn't sound good. Uh, when you say okay, yeah. or, right? Or you, yeah, what's going on? It's just all right, you know. Kind of busy, got a lot of work. Okay. Well, what is it? How can I help? Um, I don't know. Just got. It seems like I got more files than I can work on and get to. You know, obviously can't get back to all the clients. Well, you're in the doc drawing department, and guess what? We're setting a record this month, closing yeah. a half a billion. Yeah, it's crazy. It's going to be crazy. Yeah. So you feel overwhelmed? Yes, I do. That's normal. Okay. That's normal, bud. Just get through it, and then it'll get a little more normalized. But we're having the best month in 24 years. You're going to feel a little overwhelmed. Okay. okay, you'll do great. It could have been a dead cat. It could have been a fight with his wife. Now, in my company, there's a dog drawer. There's 250 people at the corporate office. And they think I'm what? <laughs> what? Scary. I'm the CEO of a big company. Scary. They're intimidated. Yep. Guess what Phil goes back and does at the dog drawing department? Hey, Todd was getting a cup of coffee. Todd asked me how my day was. And he cared. And he actually wouldn't let me go until I told him. And I just told him I was a little overwhelmed. I got 40 sets of docs to get out in one day. I was a little overwhelmed. Man, I love that guy. That's culture. So we can work on events. And I'm not saying don't do events and all that stuff. But it's about your leadership that sets the tone for the entire company. Because you are the what? CEO of your company, even though your company might be two people, they just look at you and that's what they do. 70% of parenting is they just watch you. If you cuss, they will cuss. If you smoke, they will smoke. If you do drugs, they will do drugs. If you hit the wall when you're mad, they're going to hit the wall when they're mad. That's what it's about. I think it goes back to just living it. You can't say you care about someone when you see them getting a cup of coffee and not ask them those questions. Yes. So just reach inside and pay attention when your gut's tingling so that my two LPs aren't getting along. There's, there's weirdness in the team meeting. Hey, guys, time out. Pineapple moment. I sense the friction. What's going on? That's all I'm talking about. Learn that skill. Learn that skill. You'll double, triple, quadruple. You'll do whatever you want. Because that's what nobody does. That's what nobody does. I don't see it. Okay? Does that make sense, guys? That's been a total change for me. You know, back in the day, I wouldn't address it, let it go, let it fester. I think the longer we let it fester, the bigger problems we're going to have. For sure. We have to address those issues. Guys, take a moment. We, we want to cement these ideas. So what I want you to write down is three things that you will do from this class. Three action items. And may, may have already written them down so you can circle them. But like I'm like about implementation. The best students are the best implementers. The people who make the most money are the best implementers. So Phil makes a lot of money because he just implements this stuff. It does no good to go to this class and then not go back and implement. So those three things, circle them. Or write one down if you didn't already write it down. Then I want you to raise your hand and say, 
This is the number one thing for sure I'm going to do. Number one, for sure. And by when? Give me a due date. See how good you guys are at self-delegation. Hey, I got to tell you, Phil, uh, we have a lot of coaches. We have 44 of them. Uh, what I know about Phil, Phil's under a deeper microscope. Why? He's literally two, three miles from Rick's office. And they see each other all the time, and he has oversight, so I know what he does. What I've seen you do with this mission, vision, culture, when I first met Phil, from where he's at now, it's little, it's a, it couldn't be different. I mean, it couldn't be different. He came in as a, as a broken realtor doing ad leads, and now he runs this monster referral business. If you meet some of his team members, they're as gung-ho as he is. So you've done a great job on this subject. It's an honor to teach with you. Guys, we're going straight to lunch. Thank you, Phil Puma. Appreciate it. Thanks for all your help, man. Thanks, brother. You've been listening to the Coors Sales Training Boot Camp. For registration information about our two-day business building summits, call 1-800-660-6670 or find us on the web at www.thecoretraining.com.